1: wheelhouse dna
0: grief is so personal and specific but then it's so communal and so universal right and there are pieces that i think everyone can understand and and it, they we experience the same and then the way we go through it is different and and the depth is different and and, and the roller coaster is different but you know that piece of I think everybody, in a part of the grief process, you reach that point where you just think, I cannot go any further. Like, I cannot do anything else.
1: From Wheelhouse DNA and Acast, this is Comfort Food, a show about life, loss, grief, celebration, and the meals that support us through it all. I'm your host, Kelly Rizzo. My guest today is not only a fantastic actress, but she's also an amazing author. Her book, Wake Me When You Leave, made me feel, I think, pretty much every emotion I have. She's so thoughtful in her understanding of grief and loss and was incredibly open about her journey. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Elisa Donovan. Well, Elisa, I am so... Thrilled, so honored to have you here. I was so excited to meet you.
0: Oh, I'm honored to be here, truly,
1: truly. Well, this is our first time meeting. I know. Literally, we just met a few minutes ago. And this is, it's so great because when you find out that somebody has gone through a similar experience Mm -hmm. and experienced grief in some way, but to where they also want to do something about it and share about it and maybe help people. When I meet somebody like that, I feel like, we're already bonded in a way. Yes. And yes. we have that shared experience. And
0: this is one of the most important things that I, I think we all have to understand that difficult things and challenges and grief specifically, it's a part of the human existence, yeah. right? And we're always so afraid of it or we don't want to bring it up if somebody's like, it's that intimacy is very difficult, but it's vital and it brings us together, you know? It allows us to. To share with each other and um, to find the depth in in life,
1: right? That's so true. When you it's try to keep it. it surface, you are doing such a disservice to yourself and to others because you're ignoring all the stuff that either has happened to you or is going or is to happen going to you. To. None of us right. are ever going to right. a get out alive or b completely escape grief and loss.
0: Yep, and I think that's why it feels so. You know, um, it feels so isolating at, at, at first, or certainly that's how I felt when my, specifically when my dad passed. But you, it, it feels so isolating because people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable and they right. think it's going to make it worse for you. Right. So, like, they oh, don't, don't make you feel bad? Don't bring up Bob around Kelly. Right. It's like Kelly's thinking about Bob all the time so it's fine you know like if you don't bring it up it's like you're not acknowledging what someone is going through you know it's like you're disregarding the 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 feelings that the person is having and I think also people we get afraid that if we go into the darker places and the sadder places that somehow that's going to take away our joy or like oh gosh I'm never going to feel happy again and i just think it's really to the contrary that it it helps us understand the 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 depth of both things so when you can feel great sadness it you feel sadness because you loved something or right. someone you know that you have a this this deep connection to so i think it just it, you know allows for the capacity for for all for well, all of it
1: joy is only given meaning because sadness exists. That's right. You know, so how can you really feel... Jo- if you're happy all the time, 100% of the time, and you've never felt pain or sadness, then happiness doesn't have any meaning. That's right. You know, so it you need have to have it all. Otherwise, what's what's the point? Yes. You know, and it's it's so interesting, is, as you were saying about not wanting to talk about it, because that's part of the reason, well, A, why I'm sure you wrote your book, but also why I'm wanting to do this is because you do feel that there is kind of a stigma around grief and people not wanting to talk about it. It's kind of this taboo subject, which is so weird because we're all going to go through it. And I've learned from a couple other guests I've had, they've talked about how in other countries that so much more normalized and it's a part of life.
0: Yes. And people are revered and specifically if you, as, as you grow older, that's why older people are revered in a way that we don't really think about mm-hmm. in our culture. Um, But yes, like that, that, that death is a part of life and even tragic and unexpected death also has its own, its own purpose and its own reason for, for, for being. And, you know, it's hard Again, I think it's really hard for people to talk about because one, no one wants to say the wrong thing, you know. So if you if 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 you haven't gone through any kind of a loss, I think it's often more difficult to talk about because people feel as though they don't want to say the wrong thing, so they say nothing. And you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book, I felt like I want people to understand that there is no right thing and there's no wrong thing you know i in um the year my book came out i have two friends who lost children man i cannot uh, the the, I, the the grief of of a mother losing a child is like no other in my right. opinion like I, I just i can't right. i Nothing don't know first. how these two women are functioning to be perfectly honest. And I felt like the one is a much, is, is a closer friend and, and the other one is, um, you know, not somebody who's in my daily life, but the one that's closest, we talk about it all the time because I'm like, your your son is like a part of our family and we think about him and we feel him in our house and he does little funny things, you know, like little trickster things and my daughter who's 11 feels very connected to this boy and it just, you know, wow. that, the ability for me to hold her grief is is an incredibly powerful and important thing to be able to do for someone and we don't have you don't have to do anything with it you just like hold it you know right like i don't have to say the right thing you're just you kind of just, making
1: space for her yes, and for her yes. grief and letting her know that you're there and i mean i get it because i'd never really lost anybody mm-hmm. until bob And, or I mean, you know, like grandparents, but never anyone, Mm -hmm. certainly not a a spouse. And I was always that person that really shied away from it because I didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I'm like, am I close enough with this person to even be that person in their life? And I've just learned since losing Bob that, and I mean, obviously I want to get into this later in terms of more specifics of like what really is helpful to people, what was helpful to you, Mm -hmm. what you've learned is helpful to others. But just briefly, there were a couple friends in my life that I wasn't really even friends with at the time. And because of how they behaved and reacted have now become like some of my closest friends. So your dad passed away now was like 20 years ago about yeah, now it's almost 20 yeah 20 so, yeah so it was a while ago and it was sudden enough but not too sudden yes, Right. like you yes. had you, you had a heads
0: up yes he was like, diagnosed in july and then passed away on january 1st okay and so we i had all of these things happen at the same time i was literally sitting in my car my Television show had just been canceled, Sabrina, and I thought I was going to do this other show, and I got the call that I'm—they I'm, hired someone else. So I was just kind of sitting in my car, like, okay, okay, <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Like, what's going to happen here with my life? And then my brother calls me and says, Dad has terminal cancer of the esophagus and it's inoperable, and I was just like, I don't. I,
1: I don't even know what that means. And this what? was like how soon after finding out about your show?
0: Oh, like the same, the same day. Uh, the oh, call, the same, like, day. same day. And I was sitting in my car like with the script of the show that I did not get. And they had I had left set of Sabrina and they were like, it's And not. then you got the call. Yep. And then I went home and my boyfriend broke up with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like the same that day. Same, that was
0: literally yes. So I And get... then I remember
1: from your book that you, when your brother told you that kind of very matter-of-factly, and then you said your mom was very like, yep, that's what it is, like kind oh my of gosh. manic about she, it, she right? She was
0: very manic and very, um, she's just like bright and shiny all the time, you know, and she just said, oh, we're going to bring home some fun movies for dad to watch, <laughs> and we're just going to get some ice cream. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what <laughs> is he... Like, what's happening? Is he doing and you chemo? Want the, you is he want going,
1: the questions answered. I want the
0: questions answered. And she does not have any, like, she was so flighty. She's like a, a hummingbird, you know, and just could not, and I could not imagine her without my dad because they were married 50 years and almost 50 years. And um, she's a little bit younger than than he is. And they got married so young, you know. My dad was 70, so they got married when they were 20, when he was 23 and you know she was 19. So he was 24, I think, and she was 20 or 19, like very young. And so she just was was her um, whole life, yeah. Yeah, it was her whole life. Her whole life. And so in you know, I it was this kind of compounding of things where I realized, oh, I can hold on to this. No, you can't hold on to that. Okay, I can hold on to this to the boyfriend. No, you can't hold on to that. Okay, then, and then there was this other, like, talk show job that I didn't even want to do. And then I was like, I'll do the talk show. I'll do the talk show, right. <laughs> you know? And something. they were like, no, they don't want an actress. Like, they don't, they, you know, think you'd be too, you know, you, what people in the Midwest won't identify or something. I was like, what? And so, like, all of these things just, just kept happening. And, you know, to me, it, it's really, it, we, we go through life and we can either meet the moment Or we can skip the moment, you know, or evade it. And I just felt like you got to, this is what's happening, I guess, you know.
1: Um, So, see, that's so interesting to me. What you said is because you felt, you know, normally you can hold on to something. You know, people like you, you go through a breakup. Well, I'm just going to immerse myself in my career. Yes. Or, you know, I'm lost a family member, but at least I have, you know, my significant other can be there to, you know, I can cry on their shoulder, whatever it is. Like I lost my job, but at least my family is there for me. Yep. And you literally had, I mean, obviously not your entire family. Thank God you still had, you know. Yes. I still had the rest of my family. Right. But a big chunk of this is all gone at the same time. I mean, same yeah, exact time. it was
0: really, really uh, disorienting to say the least. <laughs> and then, you know, and go, and I just was like, I just have to, I just have to work like that will make everything better if I work. And, you know, I, when I, I went home in that last week with my dad, it was so, you know, it was horrible. He was obviously not well and he was angry. And so we had this other whole level of kind of PTSD afterwards where it was, um, it was pretty extreme. And, um, I just felt so just bereft of anything. Like I didn't know how to function really. And that feeling of like, you know, grief is so, um, personal and specific, but then it's so communal and so universal. Right. And there are pieces that I think everyone can, can, Understand and and it, they we experience the same and then the way we go through it is different and and the depths is different and, and and the roller coaster is different but you know that piece of I think everybody in a part of the grief process you reach that point where you just think I cannot go any further like I cannot do anything else I feel so heavy and so just weighted and so dark. And in that moment for me is really when I had these visitation dreams from my dad. And my dad was not a, you know, I was raised Catholic, very traditional, very conservative dad. He was definitely not talking about, you know, uh fairies in the walls yeah, and woo-woo. And stuff, woo-woo. Yeah. No. And um so I was very disoriented by that but that's really I I think when we get so broken it's when we it's when the light can come in you know like we get cracked open and it allows us to to have a deeper connection and you know when your heart gets broken it opens up your whole system and it allows you to let other things and other people
1: in to have three big pillars in your life kind of be gone in an instant is so just... So it is like that, like yeah. in a split
0: second, right? Everything just changes. So I went from completely understanding where I was, where I thought I was going and what I was doing to just like quite literally wandering around. And, you know, when people, great right, Spiritual leaders talk about this all the time. And I had done a lot of work prior to... um Joseph Campbell and reading his, the hero's journey and all of that. And then I went, oh, oh, I'm in the dark night of the soul right now. That's where I am. And you know, that's very, uh, amorphous. It's like why I started, I mean, I've always been a writer and I have, have written since I was a child, but it really helped me to, um, to heal articulating this. And it became something that was really spiritual to me where, I started to understand that this it's like paper thin the 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 between here and the afterlife yeah, the, the veil me, is the veil very is thin. very, very thin, mm-hmm. and that's a hard you know that, that's like a a big concept um, and I think no, that am with you oftentimes when people don't you know people would say to me, oh, I want." you know, my loved one to come to me in a dream. I want this, that, and I can feel in them that they're not really ready for it because I think that there are sometimes, when it happens, it's like, then you really understand that they're gone, that they're gone in their physical body, you know, that you're not gonna be able to call them up on the phone. And with that comes that acceptance, right, of that one of the, the, the steps of grief, but it allowed me to understand oh, but it's not over. Like my, my, my relationship is not over. Like by far it is not over. It's so much deeper and different now, but I would never have understood that. And now that's such a part of how I live my life that it's like, it's just a part of the fabric of who I am. And I think, I mean, it absolutely changed my life. I wouldn't be living where I live now. i Probably I wouldn't have met my husband. I wouldn't have my child. You know, like all the things would look different if this did not happen to me.
1: I just, I had this thought about you that just now that maybe you wouldn't have been able to dive as deep into this. And maybe there wouldn't be a book. And maybe there would, if let's say all of your pillars of strength weren't yes. gone at the same time.
0: I think that's exactly right. Because there are so many, you know, anything can be a distraction, right? So right. work can be a huge distraction. And it's also really, I'm a creative person. So it's a big part of me. It's not just sort of punching a time clock, right? It's a big part of my spirit and who I am, but it still can be a distraction, you know? And as we all know, relationships can be or whatever, you know, all the various things. And to not have anything, I really was just left with myself. And I felt so, um, you know, it was a long, it was... I would say it was a full year really of quite honestly wandering around. I mean, you if you saw me, you know, you'd be like, uh, what's up with this girl, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't is She walking in circles. Was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would like go in for I mentioned one of these experiences in the book, but go in for auditions and for like comedies and be like, "Hi. <laughs> oh, is it my do I go?" Okay, let me go. You know, and I would just like, yeah, and I would like look at, you know, in some instances that would be um, like a a screen test where someone is already cast and so you're reading with the person and I'd be like, this guy's not even funny. You know, I'd just be like looking and going, oh, sorry, sorry. Is it my line? It's my love. Oh, Okay. Why don't we start again? You know, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not funny anymore. Like I am all out of the funny, you know, and I don't feel that way now. Like I very much have the funny back, but in that period, I just felt like I'm not, I'm not here to entertain anybody, you know, I'm going to be, and it just got me to this very, very pure and authentic place. And it's not like I was doing it purposely. I wasn't, I didn't set out to say, I want to live a more authentic life. So that's how I'm going to go through my grief. It
1: wasn't your choice. It
0: just, it just happened where I felt like I couldn't put it together, you know? And there were a couple of friends that were able to be with me and a lot that weren't, you know? And it changed the people that, that were in my life after that. Oh, a thousand percent. And there was an acquaintance and she's quite famous. And she was an acquaintance of mine, but a good friend of another friend. And we wound up spending that Halloween when my dad was still alive. He was about to, to die. We spent this Halloween together. And it was really fun and silly, but I was like also crying and weird. And, you know, they, but we had this kind of interesting evening. And right after my dad passed away, they, we had dinner together. And she was the only per- I hardly knew her. And she's the only person that brought it up. She's like, how are you doing? She's like, I couldn't function if I if I were you right now. Like how? Because it was like a week after my dad, after the funeral, I think. And she just looked at me and was like, I, you know, when my dad passed away, I didn't, I, I really like, I just lost it. I couldn't. And I said, yeah, I don't really feel like I'm present. She's like, you know, you don't have to stay if you don't want to stay. And then she just said, or you can just sit here. You don't have to talk. You can just sit here at the table with us. And that was the most incredible thing to feel that this person who I didn't know that well could just look me in the face and say, you don't have to do anything. And I, I, I feel you like I can, well, that's I'm very authentic. I can like hold this for you.
1: See, what's interesting though is, um, because me naturally having been surrounded by comedians, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously Bob was comedian and all of his best friends pretty much are comedians. And so it's interesting when you said like, I couldn't be funny and I didn't want to be funny and I just didn't have it in me. It's interesting how some people go one direction or another because for some people either retreat from that and they're like, I don't want to laugh. I can't make people laugh. Or they're like, this is the only thing that I'm even capable of doing is making jokes and making people laugh. and, And wanting to be like, so you were saying that you didn't feel like, it right. could be funny, but how did you respond so to people, my, let's say, making jokes or people being funny?
0: There's something about again, if, if 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 it's meeting something head on and not exploiting it, this stands for anything as far as I'm concerned. I I appreciate it and love it. And so and my family inherently, we are very funny people. That's just like all of us, we make jokes. I mean, my mom, when they brought in the hospital bed into my parents' bedroom where you know that's where he was going to die she was like oh should we try it out like oh it's kind of bouncy and then like the next thing I know she and my brother are like bouncing on the hospital bed like oh I wonder if and then they're like let's put this little thing under the bed there was this um stuffed animal that (laughs) someone gave like a grab bag for Christmas and kept putting it under people's beds and it would like you could wind it up and it would sing this really loud obnoxious song and it was a squirrel I think and my brother said, you know, oh, let's put it under the bed and then dad won't be able to get up and get it. And I was like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, this is not okay. And then we're all laughing and he also, you know, would get a kick out of it. I just, I think there's like a, there are like levels. And I think for me, it felt something like it was the work part of it. I think where I felt like I don't, I don't want to be funny. Like this is stupid what we're doing.
1: It's Like it's not real life. It's so, not real and I only life. I want to be in the real. Yes,
0: and I felt like you know whatever the material was was not very funny, and I just went like I don't want to do this. It just felt like not how I wanted to spend my time,
1: you know. Um, yeah. Well, and that's a different that's yeah. a different story versus you know wanting to in your real own life right. wanting to laugh and make others laugh, and you know it's kind of something I learned from Bob too because whether you know when it was people that he was losing or you hear on the news, like, somebody died. Like, you know, he would make a joke, right? It was always one of those too soon. And it's like, for meeting there is no such thing as too (laughs) too soon. soon. Like, there really isn't.
0: Yes, and that's keeping the spirit alive because that is what, you know, not to get too woo-woo, but that is really, it is a spiritual life that we are living in these physical bodies. And that sounds like, woo, -woo.
1: it's like, what makes life meaningful, you know? Right. And I do want to get into some, you know, some deeper stuff. But before we do that, (laughs) before we do that, you know, there is a title of the show and it's called comfort food. I'm so excited. So we did make a promise to feed you. (laughs) Um, and we did find out what your favorite comfort Mm -hmm. food is. Well, first off, I want to know, um, before you tell us what your favorite comfort food is that we may or may not be bringing out right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, what role did food play in your life and your family's life when you were going through these really hard times. Like was it was there a big part of of this grieving period that was just made a little easier by food? So this is
0: really interesting because I grew up in a house where my mom hated to cook. Oh wow. She's a terrible cook. She okay. didn't like it, but had a lot of dinner parties. So she did a lot of entertaining where people were drunk and starving. And I I mean in college I lived with Spaniards and I spent a lot of time in Spain oh, and wow. I like the meal is such a um they're really my my Spanish friends are the ones that really taught me about the beauty of the meal and cooking and sharing in that way. And
1: yeah. um so because oh, they we kind always, of invented sharing with did. the tapas, yeah. Totally,
0: yes. And so we always had in our house like Italians I said, like
1: to keep everything
0: yeah. <laughs> to themselves. <laughs> exactly. No <Yeah>. sharing.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but we always had, like I said, you know, twenty people for Thanksgiving and all these big meal, but my mom never so then over time, then I started to do the cooking at Thanksgiving, and my dad would make the cook, cur- so my dad would cook, but she never did, and then now it's just become me like I'm the one that cooks,
1: so what did he like to cook? What did your dad like to cook? he
0: so we I grew up on Long Island, and um so in the summertime, we had a pool, and he would lo- he would always make. Clams on the half shell, or he would make. Oh, yum. Co- like I always remember him grilling a lot in the summer. He just loved it. And then he grew. He had a big vegetable garden with like huge tomatoes and eggplants, and and then he would just like grill those up. And um, he was a really he was a good cook. <gasps> All
1: right. Oh, it All is. Right. So, it so is. I mean, I could tell everyone what's here, but why don't you talk about why this is your comfort food and okay. what this is? This is a bolognese and mm-hmm. i thank first you. of all it
0: is one of my favorite things because it takes a long time to cook so like the whole process is really enjoyable for me and it's slow and it's meaningful and you can um we did do, we did it. put
1: dairy-free you did? cheese on here thank and you. it's dairy-free
0: thank you um yeah. So I so you like to cook bolognese, too. Oh, yeah, I do. I love it. Because it is yeah. a very, you know, and it's, then it's, I like it's, it's add, labor-intensive, pretty it much. It is, and I like to add, I always add greens, so I do sort of my own version. I mean, I have the meat and all of the right. the necessary items. Cooking is like a very, I don't know, it's just a really healing thing. And now, like, I, lo- I have dinner parties all the time, and it's like a, it's a, it's a gift to people. You know, Mm. you're actually, they're ingesting something that you have made and given them and taken time with. And I just love it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: When you can have a nice meal, especially a nice Italian meal, it's very, very, very comforting. So the whole point of, you know, why I wanted to do this is you know, obviously my background, there's a lot of cooking, but I felt that if I'm going to have these conversations, which can be, even though it's about a sad topic or about something darker, it's not always sad conversations. Like I had a very, very good friend of mine in yesterday as my guest, and he's had a lot of loss in his life, but he's also a very, very, very famous comedian. And, you know, we're talking, and when he left, he goes, I thought it was going to be sad. And I right. thought it was going to be like a bummer. But <laughs> this it, is what I mean that right, people but it think wasn't. like
0: it's all this heavy, like, yes, but everything is a roller coaster. It's not a hundred percent dark every second all the time, you know? Right. I think that's the misconception of why we're, I don't know, culturally so afraid of it. Like we like shiny, happy, bright, fast, young things, right. you know, because we just don't want to get near anything that is going to tarnish too soon or something. And it's really, um, I think it keeps us in a really, uh, just a, a very one-dimensional, certainly kind of yeah. existence, right? And just continues that that fear of, you know, difficult things. And it's not that we should just always want to be, you know, sad or always want to be talking about this. But there's something about, to me anyway, I feel inherently more comfortable if i know that i can have a real conversation with someone even if we're yeah. not having it every single second or every time we see each other but there is a a familiarity and a and a real warmth and a peace that i get from that and it because it makes me feel like i don't have to operate up here like this you know i can be in my body and then we can laugh i mean some of the funniest things that happen I mean we scattering my father's ashes my mom was like I mean it was like a comedy scene so there are things that like death is also very funny
1: yeah. it's
0: just it's it's everything
1: it's so true and that's why I felt I was like all right if I can at least feed them their comfort food then we can make it a little bit easier to talk yeah, about a little those more things. digestible it, yes ooh, I like that. a little more <laughs> digestible very very good but you know also, as you were just saying, you know, like every day is kind of filled with all of the emotions in a sense. And my, my friend Amanda Klutz, do you know Amanda?
0: I don't know her, but I, yes, I know. She said
1: something um, her. When when we talked, she said something like, grief days are just life days and they're filled with all of the emotions and like you're going to laugh and you're going to cry and you're going to be sad and you're going to be angry, like all of that in one day. Like, so if even on day 1 you laugh it's like that's that's part of it and it's yes. okay and i know in your book you were yes. talking also about guilt yeah a bit so tell me about like the guilt aspect because i totally understand that feeling of guilt when it comes to feeling happy
0: yes so i felt guilt in two different ways in one way i felt like i felt guilty that i was So destroyed, because I felt like I was thirty years old, like I'm a grown up. How, why can I not get it together? You know, why am I so utterly broken and devastated? Because I felt like, what about my mom? I should worry. You know, she is, is you know, like parents die. This happens, and so I felt like guilty in that way. And then I felt guilty that I was able to still you know feel joy and to uh i really think that the the writing the book and doing i did this as a as a um one woman show at the geffen a different obviously shorter version um and a lot of that was because it helped me to be able to get through it there was something about sharing it that made me feel less guilty because i felt like i'm I'm doing, I'm doing a service or like I'm, I'm, I'm also processing everything because you don't realize it's not like I was sitting there thinking I'm guilty, but I realized, oh, I feel guilty that I wasn't in the room the minute that he passed. Like I had just left and I whispered into his ear and I spoke to him and I walked out and I walked down to my brother's uh, house, which was on the property. They lived on a horse farm at the time. My brother had a little house off of the the barn. And by the time I got down there, he had passed. And I felt for years, oh, you feel really guilty. Like I feel like I deserted him, you know, or I left him. And then I had, and I didn't realize how much I was carrying this. And then I had spoke to this medium very recently, like in a, like two, a year ago or so. And she said, your dad wants you to know that you were, you were there when it counted. That it's that it's okay you weren't there at the last minute. And I my like jaw hit the ground and I just went, "Oh my god. I didn't realize." And I just started bawling. I was like, "I didn't realize that I was still carrying that around, but I really was." You know? And I um, felt
1: better after that. Yes.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz it's, you know, it's like a a breath, you know? I I remember the first time that when I realized that I was kind of trying to run away from the the painful part. And I was driving in my car and I was going for the to to this meeting for this movie that I didn't want to do. But they were gonna like pay me a lot of money and I was like, I need to do this. Like I have to go and do this. And I was like just spiraling, going, like, what has become of my life? What am I doing? And then I just felt this presence in the car. And I went oh my God, what is happening right now? And I felt like if I looked over, he was going to be sitting right there. It was the first time, it was the most overwhelming sensation. And it was just this feeling of like this, this presence and this, this love that was saying you are, everything is right. You are right. You are fine. You are beautiful. I am here for you. And I realized, wait a second, I've been like running away from this, right? Like I, I'm a person who's seen psychics for years and um, don't have any problem with that sort of stuff. And then I realized when it was about my dad, I was I was like turning on music really loud in my house, you know, like trying to not let it be too and tr- quiet. And, and, and trying out, yeah. to like drown it out. And then I went home after that. I went to the meeting and I went home and I stood in my living room and I just put my feet on the floor. And I took this deep breath And I exhaled and I just said hi to my dad. And I just started crying and I went, oh, he is like everywhere. He is like all over, you know, my, he is in my living room. He's in my kitchen. He is with me. And this, this feeling of he had wanted to let me know that and, and, and I was pushing it
1: away. So. I just went on a tangent, but that... Um. No, no, that is, no. it's interesting because it kind of goes to exactly where I wanted to go and that you had said your relationship with him became a little different. Like it was complicated, but then you had this different relationship, let's say yeah. after he passed versus
0: yes, when yes. he was here. Because it, and it, it takes, it's, it's one of these things that's hard to uh, articulate really in language, but it's just mm-hmm. a sensation of understanding that it's the it's the spirit it's the soul of the person is the same but th- you know in in the next phase all of this is it's all it's not that it's meaningless but it's it, it's silly to be concerned about things that right. are you know that they have moved forward through you know and and they see i believe that it's you know you have this understanding of how of how perfect and how connected everyone and everything is and so and it's
1: such a bigger picture it's
0: such a bigger picture like we
1: don't under like we can see 0.00001 percent of what actually is going on right. in the universe you yes. know like there's so much energy yes. there's so much you know literally like we can't see photons and stuff that are yes. constantly passing yes. through us. Like there's so much energy. There's so much out there that we yes. can't see. We can't even understand time. We're living yep. in linear time. And, yep. you know, there's a difference between linear time and like eternal time. And so people, let's say, who have passed on and are living in that eternal world are like, guys, oh my God. Oh, you poor little things yeah, down exactly. there. Oh, you're they are. They're with, like, oh, you think we care about just this? Exactly. Right. <laughs> yes. And
0: even, so like I said, my daughter is very connected to this sort of, stuff and she talks to my dad i know all the time he's he's kind of her guardian angel obviously I think. they never met they've never met right, right they never met my daughter's 11 and um my dad passed away 20 years ago so
1: like, tell me she, more about this I, this is so she
0: i mean so many things i don't even know which one to say but she um i mean with okay this is the perfect i was talking about you know the the film A version of the book is in development, and it's an independent film. So, trying to get financing is a long road, and there are a lot of ups and downs. And I was in the kitchen. This is two years ago, probably now, um, or three. She's eleven, so maybe three years ago. And we had just we it had just started to go into development, and, and we thought we had the financing immediately. And my producer was like, "This is highly unusual that this is coming together so quickly." And I went, no, this is a magical project. This is the way it's supposed to go. And we've all these great people involved. And then he calls me this one morning and says that it fell through, right? And I just started crying. And my daughter was sitting at the counter eating her breakfast. And she didn't know what I was, what I was crying about. And she went opened the kitchen drawer. And I had my father's watch in there. And I never like knew what to do with it. And we had just moved and I put it into this kitchen drawer. She just walks over to the thing, takes it out and she just holds it up. And she's like, I think you want this. And I was like, I just looked at her and started bawling even more because she, she didn't know, you know, it's like, he was like, go get the watch, like tell her it's okay. Because anytime anything has happened along the way, I get these sorts of messages and, She is just, and I think children, the younger that they are, also, they're more connected because they're just going to say that's what I've I've heard
1: because they don't have all of our filter and all of the cynical stuff. And
0: she has said, you know, our friend whose son was killed, he was nine years old. So at the time, he was six months older than my daughter. So they're essentially the same age. And she was in the shower. And I came in and she was crying in the shower. And long story short, she never, you know, she doesn't want to talk about it directly, but then we will talk about it. And then, you know, at any rate, she, we finally got to it. And I was like, is it something happened at school? No. Is it this? Is it that? And then I said, are you thinking about our friend? And she said, yes. And she said, I just know that we would have been really good friends. And I'm sad that we don't get to be friends. And his mother had said to me, they are so much alike. Like, they would have been really good friends. They would have grown up to be friends. And she would tell me these things that he, you know, I asked her, it's okay if you talk to, like, do you talk to him? And she would say, well, how do you know the spirit that you're talking to is really the one that they say they are? And I'm like, okay, so you're on a whole other level. Like, you're maybe talking to a few people at the same time, you know. But she. And I try to normalize it for her because she there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it, you know, but no one really talks about it openly, so then she feels weird. But then when we talk about it, she doesn't feel weird anymore, and she doesn't feel sad. She can feel sad that that this boy won't be in her life in this way, but then she also understands that sometimes they like play together in the yard. you know what I mean.
1: I've just been hearing so much more about that recently about how kids are just so much more in tune yep. to that
0: world. She did this when my, my father-in-law passed away. My husband called me. She was very young. She was like th- four, three. And my husband called me. I was, I, uh, no, I was getting her ready for, quote, summer camp, like pre-preschool pre summer camp. Mm-hmm. And um, drove, her, was going to drive her. And she said, I have to pack my suitcase to go to BB and Billy's, which is what she would call her grandparents. And I said, no, we're going in two weeks. Like, it's not, we're not going right now. And she's like, no, no, we're going tomorrow. Like, we're going tomorrow. And I said, no, we're not going tomorrow. And she became very upset with me that I was wrong. And why can't she pack her, you know, purple hippo suitcase? And I was like, fine, just pa- great. Just pack your suitcase. We're not going tomorrow. Like, we're going. We had a trip planned for whenever it was in a few weeks. Drive her to preschool. My husband calls me literally after, right after I dropped her off and said, my dad, they think that he already died, like his heart already stopped, but they brought him to the hospital and they, ha- I have to decide if they, I want them to keep him alive oh, man. in order f- for me to get home to New Jersey to see him. And I was like, what? I could not. And he, he passed away. By the time I picked her up, I had to tell her, so we're you know, Grandpa Billy's passed away and we are going, going tomorrow. And she just said, I told you, I told you we were going tomorrow. And I was like, oh my God.
1: That is so crazy. I have a story kind of, uh, that still blows my mind. And I've, I don't think I've ever told this really publicly, but so this was maybe six months after Bob had passed away. And my niece who had a very, very special connection with Bob, even though she was only you know, two at the time, a little over two when she when he passed away. And she lives in Chicago with my sister, her mother. And I was with my other sister here in LA and I had a very weird experience. Like I'm just standing in my kitchen doing dishes and all of a sudden I like couldn't see well. Like my vision just started getting like really fuzzy mm-hmm. and very pixelated and I couldn't really see. And... I started freaking out and I said to my sister, I was like, uh, Kristen, I think I'm having a problem, but I'm like trying not to freak out. Cause I'm like, I don't want to panic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't see. And then she was sitting like in front of me. I'm like, I can't see your face. Like if she was over here or over here. I could see her, but like in front of me, I'm like, I can't see your face. And she's like, um, do I need to like call an ambulance? I'm like, right. I don't know. And so she's like, she's like, uh, uh I'm going to call dad. I was like, what's he going to do? He's in Chicago. Like he can't do anything. And so I'm like, am I having a stroke? Like, what's going on? Like, maybe it was a panic attack. I had no idea. But I tried to keep myself calm. But then I really couldn't see. Like, all my vision was gone. And then it started becoming this, like, weird kaleidoscope thing that, like, colors and this crazy thing that went from my right eye, it, like, moved across my field of vision and then to my left eye. And it took, like, 40 minutes. It was not, like, a short thing.
0: Oh, my God. So I'm
1: thinking I'm dying. Right. And I'm having a stroke or something weird is going on. And I remember, like, we called my doctor and, like, he didn't get back to us yet. And just, I was, like, praying to God and to Bob. And I was like, God, Bob, like, please, I was like, please help yeah. me. Like, I'm freaking yeah. out. Like, I think I'm dying. Like, please let me be okay. And anyway, it turns out it was a migraine, which I'd never had before. And it, I guess it called a migraine with aura
0: uh-huh. or an
1: ocular migraine where oh. I didn't get, like, the headache part. It was just, like, this weird the... visual.
0: Crop. Oh, my God. Yeah,
1: it was really crazy. But point is… I was totally fine. But the next day, I called my sister in Chicago to tell her about it. And I was like, oh my God, Kimmy, I had this crazy experience last night and blah, 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 blah. And I told her, and she goes, That's really weird. And I was like, Yeah, I know. But she goes, No, 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 you don't understand. She said, I was talking to Alex, my niece. She goes, I was talking to Alex about you this morning. And Alex goes, Auntie Kelly's sick. And Kimmy's like, wait, what? What do you mean? She goes, Auntie Kelly's sick. And Kimmy goes, what do you mean? How do you know? And she goes, Uncle Bob told me.
0: Oh.
1: Like, isn't that cr- yes. crazy? Yes.
0: Yes, and because like, and, she's And probably, part of me is like, I don't know how much of this I believe, but like what. Because like, she is probably talking to him because she doesn't, they don't quite understand. They don't make those barriers yet, you know? Yeah. Like they just don't, they don't yeah. make them.
1: But to this day, that's like the weirdest thing that's ever happened. And Kimmy was like, "That was really weird," because oh like she she I didn't love hear anyone so talk much. about it. It's not like because right. Kimmy did. My sister didn't know. Nobody knew. Yeah, like in that household. Right. Right. right.
0: So anyway. I mean, uh, I love this stuff so much, and uh, I mean, my daughter is like, oh, man, I just love it, and I can see in her little face. You know, I'll say because I've been told like don't like let her don't make it weird. And I'm like, no, I I don't. I engage with her about it. And she'll just say, um, so I asked her once, do you talk to Grandpa Jack? And she was like doing, this is when she was much younger. and She was like building something and she just stops and like gives me the side eye and then goes back to playing. And she's like, sometimes. And then I said, it's okay if you do. I mean, it's great. I talk to him too. And you know, He's here a lot, and she will just say things that, you know, it doesn't. They it just the the veil is thinner for them too.
1: What's your best, let's say, parenting advice for, let's say, another parent who then you know is trying to explain that to their child, right? Or explaining to her like, hey, you're going to go through grief one day too, and here's how to yes. deal with it. Yes, I
0: mean you know, it's so tough because she also worries about dying a lot. And for the period, like when our friend's son passed, it was it was hard because she, yeah,
1: that's be she so gets scary.
0: like, she's very empathic and she's very intuitive. So she sometimes will feel like it's happening to her, even though it's not happening to her. So I kind of helped her differentiate that. But I think now she knows, you know, we talk about it more like there will be different phases in 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 your life, and when someone does physically die, they don't really leave us. Yes, they leave us in the the physical form of their bodies, so we can't hug them necessarily, or we can't call them. But I say you can always talk to them, and that you can going into nature is something that is really sort of allows it to come in a little bit more, mm-hmm. and little messengers we talk about there are hummingbirds all over outside of our house and we live in San Francisco and it's not like it's it's unusual <laughs> and that's uh definitely for me a sign of my dad and our friend's little son mm. and so she you know we I just try to normalize it without um making it heavy because you know sometimes my husband feels like this is like too much like we're talking about this too much and I will say the nicest she can't sleep is when no one's talking, when when people are telling her, oh, you're fine, just go to sleep, you know, as opposed to mm. what's going on? Oh, are you thinking about dying? Okay, well, let's talk about dying, you know? <laughs> right. It's not going to happen tonight for you. And because sometimes she'll say, what if I sleep so soundly that I won't, like she is like thinking a lot of things, but when we meet it head on and then move through it, it's like she's better, you know. She feels like, oh, okay, I can that's handle huge. that. I mean, as she's eleven, and I would say she's probably a little bit unusual in her ability to metabolize certain things, but it's just the kind of kid she is, you know. It's just who well, good she for is for her,
1: and that's great. Like yeah. she's obviously a deeper thinker than most, yes. meaning she'll probably be. Yeah, I mean, probably that person that then will really be able to help other people. Yeah, I
0: I really think so. I mean, I can remember even when she was little on the playground, I've gotten anybody with like little, little kids. So I have to go to the playground all day. Like I send you my blessings. It's like the worst thing on earth because you're like, they're going to kill themselves on this equipment. Oh, dear it's God, also I see you. Yeah. so boring. Yeah. It's like, I want to poke my eyes out. <laughs> and she would sit like, and like in the stroller. And I remember her pointing at these little kids, these little boys that were like pushing each other. And and one's like falling down and crying and the other one's like pushing each other. And she just sat there and she couldn't even talk and she like pointed at them and laughed like like an eighty year old man was like, ha <laughs> ha, like look at how silly they are. And I just went, Look at those crazy kids. Yes, look at those crazy kids, you know? And she was like two. So I think she's like on another um on another plane but I love it. I mean, I guess she's my kid, so it works well, out that's nicely. Good.
1: It's <laughs> good parenting, you know, and I'm not, I, I have stepkids, but I'm not a parent. Like to, but as you said, to just to kind of meet them where they're at yes. and don't ignore it. Don't try to push it away, but really like dig deep with them and just be like, oh, yes. this is what you're feeling. This is what you're going yeah. through. And And,
0: and then, You know. Don't be scared to talk about it. Ending it and and saying, okay, now we can move on and talk about something else. We can talk about this anytime that
1: you want, but then we're also, you know, going to move on. And in terms of, let's say, other advice for, you know, let's say for people listening, because that's a big thing that I love to do is because, as I said, when I went through this, I'd never been through it before. So I didn't know, you know, what was helpful to me. But, I also didn't really know or understand what would be helpful to others. And so now right. I feel like I hope I'd be a little better in helping others based on what was helpful to me. Yeah. You know, so what were some of the things that were helpful to you and not helpful to you? And what's advice that you would give to somebody else who's helping someone grieve?
0: One, I would say the the single most unhelpful thing is to act like it's not happening,
1: mm-hmm. is
0: to so greet true. The person as if, hey, happy Tuesday, you know? Because happy Tuesday, yeah. And also, I'm, how are you doing? Right. And I think saying something rather than saying nothing at all is always better to acknowledge people's grief. So true. Acknowledge their challenge. And if you don't know what to say, that's exactly what you say. I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you.
1: I don't know what to say but I think about you all the time. Yeah, I think it's better to talk about the person. And if they don't want to talk about it, let them say, you know what? I'm just really not in the mood to yes. talk about it today. Versus yes. like let them tell you they don't want to talk about it. Or you can say like, you know, I'd, I'd really like to talk about it your person today like yes are you in the mood for that or no right or yes. are like, you in the mood to talk like about it like just checking
0: in and that very thing is what is really hard to do for whatever reason because i think culturally we don't we don't celebrate it we don't know how to do it so mm-hmm. we have to learn how to and i would also say understanding that the process is different for everyone and then sometimes even within your own family People grieve differently. Yeah. I am the person that wrote a fucking book about it. And I'm making a movie about <laughs> it. I did a play about it. I wrote short story. You know what I mean? That's how I do it. That is not how my brother does it, for example. So I did think at first the play, only my brother and my mom came to the play. My sister did not come. They loved the play. But I think that's also in a theater experience. It's like you're all having an experience together. And then... And then that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. But with the book, well, my mom absolutely loved it. Like she <laughs> she did say, she's like, well, a few things. I wasn't sure if they were true or not. I mean, I hope not. But I think she was talking more about like my relationships that I talk about in the book. Right. Um, you never she, told me about that. Exactly. Yes. Um, but she loved it, I think, because... I mean, she's such a big character in the book and she's so loved, and people, I think, really like her in the book. So I think she feels very acknowledged and kind of seen in that way. And my brother, who he was reading the first chapter and texted me and said something funny about, you know, oh, I'm laughing because of dad doing blah, 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 or something like that. And then he never talked about it again. So either he, has still has not read the whole book or he has read the book and does not want to talk about it.
1: You haven't asked him, been like, hello, what's the deal? I, did,
0: I mean, I guess I should. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, they live in North Carolina. If for no other so reason, than be like,
1: this girl Kelly Rizzo is very yeah, curious very as curious. to whether or not you've read the I book. I need
0: to get back to Kelly Rizzo and get <laughs> your feelings about the book. Because he, you know, we it's, it's always your own individual experience right. that you're, Sharing, and so there are always different sides to that. People have a different memory, perhaps of things, but I don't think that in any way I um painted anyone in a in a poor light or right. did anything it's also you know, like cruel not that
1: type of book you know no.
0: yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, so I would say people grieve differently, and you can't there's no one recipe, and there's no timeline. everyone's timeline is different, and yeah. Um,
1: that it's okay. You know, like some people can be back at work a week later. And this is another thing I talked to uh, my friend Amanda Klutz about is that she's like, there is no room to judge anyone. Yes. Because some people go back to work two days later because maybe that's what they need to do. Or maybe they literally need to do literally it to feed their family. To. Right. Um, And some people never want to go back to work. And some people, you know, start dating two months after and some people never start dating and like neither of them should be judged because unless you've specifically been in their shoe, well, even if you have been in their shoes, as you said, every situation is different. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah. So it's just such this interesting thing that becomes so stigmatized that people feel like, oh, or they moved on or, oh my God, can you believe she went back to work already or whatever right. it All is. All of that
0: is like, it's or just in my different. case,
1: can you believe she is wandering around largemont in like her pajamas? <laughs> you know what? You can't judge her. You can't judge her, folks. And like, and the other thing that obviously is a big part of your book that I want to talk about is, is the dream element mm-hmm. And you touched on it a bit, but obviously it's you know, a huge part of your book. And I just want to talk about, number one, like how you really got the idea for that being kind of the central focus as well as maybe some of these dreams and also just how you can help people who are grieving in terms of like this is this is what you do with these dreams. Like this is yeah. what this is all about because I haven't really had a Bob dream yet. And it's been almost yeah. two years. I mean, I've had dreams where he's kind of on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Like He's like an ancillary character. Like he's mm-hmm. like at the dinner table, but he's not really part, you know what I mean? I haven't right. had a full- Is he
0: more of like an observer in the dream? Kind of, or, or more
1: like I'll reference him or something. And, it's, and that's only even been a handful of times, but I haven't had one of those things where it's like, holy shit, he just came to me yeah. in my dream and we just had a conversation.
0: It is unlike any other kind of dream. So, like, I'd know and if I would have had one oh, of those. Yes, oh, okay. yes, 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 yes. O- although, yes, I think so. Um, I, the first one that I had, I, I was, I hadn't been sleeping. I was just wandering around quite literally, like, not answering the phone, not, I just didn't know— which end was up, and then also when you lack sleep, you get even crazier. It just was terrible, and I was wandering around my house, and I just, like, fell to my knees, and I looked out the window, and I just said, please, God, please, I need to sleep. Like, I can't do this anymore. I have to sleep, and I felt this—I mean, it sounds crazy—I felt this sensation and just— sort of moving me to my bedroom and then I sat down on my bed and I just like felt this like a light like a hand on my chest almost that was like go to sleep just go to sleep and I went to sleep and then I woke up or when I opened my eyes I was on this lake like floating in a rowboat it was completely silent like this absolutely pin drop silence and then every once in a while I'd hear this lapping of water and then I looked around and I saw other people on boats just sort of visiting like no one's talking there's no sound it's just people floating and I had this weird sensation that my dad was there and I looked over and he was sitting with me on the boat and neither of us spoke so our we didn't hear our voices but you could it was like we were speaking telepathically i could hear his voice and i had this feeling like it was this halfway place where all these people were it's like visiting hours in the afterlife and i started to cry and like emote without talking and i was saying with my mind it's like this pure i could only describe it like it felt wow. like a pure sound like the the sound of my own voice sounded like everything that was authentically who I am and the same with my dad but there are like our mouths are not moving but it's his his voice is like transported into my head wow and i said like i don't know how to do this i can't function i don't know how to work like what am i going to do and then he looks at me and he starts crying like like shaking like visibly shaking because he's crying so profusely. And then I realized in this moment, he, it's like he called me to him. I didn't even, you know, I was thinking, oh, he's going to help me. He's going to, you know, tell me how to get through life. And he looked at me and he said, I don't remember feeling this much when I was alive. I feel so much now is what he said. And my dad was a guy, like I said, very conservative. He was not a big emoter. He, I mean, when he would get angry, he, he, he emoted. But he was not, you know, super sensitive and touchy-feely in any way. I don't think I ever saw him cry my whole life. So this was like this very confusing moment to me. And I reached over and we just sat together on the boat while he was kind of weeping. And I was just sitting there like as if I was embracing him, but I wasn't. And then I went, I looked over to him and I reached over to touch him. And as soon as I went to touch him, I woke up. It was like, I was catapulted in my bed. I sat up straight and I was awake and I, I don't, like I, I, I didn't know what to do. I started bawling. I think I screamed. Like I didn't know as by myself, it was the most disorienting thing that has ever Mm. happened. And then I don't and then I went back to sleep and I don't think I had a dream for like months. Like I don't remember any dreams. And you I'm got a person. Sleep.
1: <laughs> I got good sleep. And then. But so then, dreams are better than drugs is yes. what you're saying. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then, but other one, then I had like the sort of full circle one, maybe a year later that was really, really, uh, healing. And we came together in this way and it was like, he was saying goodbye. It was as if he had been leading me through this year of Grief, where it was so weird. I would like wind up getting cast in these like Christmas movies where, oh, my dad has just died. And now I had that's the the first work that I did after he passed away was this producer who I'd worked for before calling me up and saying, Hey, do you want to do this Christmas movie? It's about, you know, typical like lifetime movie where the woman, you know, goes back to visit her past and she's like, The dad has just died. I'm like, what? You're like, I
1: don't have to act.
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is so crazy. But I had one that was very, um, like a year later and it was beautiful and so calming and it was the same feeling where the communication was the same but it was as if he was like I got to look him in the eye and see him healthy and tell him because so much what was really hard at the end was that he was so unwilling to die he was so unwilling to let go and it was horrible like it was painful for everyone mm-hmm. right and so where in my mind I was going, we're going to have this beautiful last week together. We're going to laugh. We're going to talk about all the great times and what a great dad he's been. No, like none of that happened. And so I felt so cheated by it, you know, and also that he was like, I wanted him to have a nice end of life, you know? Yes. And it just was not that way. So in this other dream, we... There were these horses galloping around on this suburban street. and It was very odd. And then he just is there and he looks ill like he did at the end of his life. And I said to him, I like braced myself to tell him like, you're not well, dad, and you're not going to get better. And this is like how it is. And I went to say something and I, I said, you know, you're, you're sick and you're not going to get better. And he said, he just looked at me and he shook his head and he put his hand on my shoulder or we hugged. Now I can't remember. And in that moment, like my entire life with him passed, like through my eyes, everything from like the time I was born up until the time he died, like every single moment in a second is the only way I can explain it. And I just said to him, like, I, I am everything I am because of you. Like, I love you so much. And I said, I'm really sad that you're going to miss so many of the things in my life. Like, you're going to miss so much. And he was just like, he didn't, he just put his hand on my shoulder and he nodded at me. And it was like, in that moment, he was saying, he completely understood me, right? It was like, he saw me, he saw me as a full person of who I am. Because I always felt like, he doesn't know who I am. He's like this corporate guy. He doesn't get what I do, you know? And in that moment, he appreciated every single thing about me. And he was like, I'm here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. But he, we hugged and we turned around and he, wa- it was like you would see it in a movie. Like, he turned around <laughs> and he just waved like this. And he got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was just waving like this. And when I woke up, Instead of having that, like, the other one was so just disorienting and uncomfortable. I woke up and I was like, it was like a, like a beautiful, brave new day. You know, I felt, I felt at peace. I felt happy. Resolution. Resolution. It was, it was extraordinary. It was like, I, it was one of the most memorable things that's ever happened to me. And I felt like, okay he's, he's like, you know, saying goodbye for now. Like he doesn't need to be leading me through all this stuff anymore, but he's still now, I mean, he's, he's around all the time, but there was something very Mm -hmm. important about that. It was like, he could go, I think. That's the other piece that I really want to share that I think is so important and can be really hopeful to people is that, you know, death feels so final and in, in one regard it is, but, particularly when we don't have a, a perfectly tied up relationship where you get everything ironed out the way you'd like, and then the person dies. Like I don't, that rarely happens. Right. Like i bless you if it happens for you, you know, but um, when it, when it doesn't happen so perfectly, it doesn't mean that you can't remedy that relationship or that you can't, you can't get closure and, and really have a, f- have a fuller, it doesn't mean that you don't get to have that closure, and that it that that's the way the relationship ends. It keeps going, and you can remedy things after the fact. Like I I have done that, and my it's so important. It's really important, and you know I just I remember saying to my brother, my brother, because my brother and my dad had some some issues, and um, he like when we were all around my dad at the end with hospice my brother was sort of standing back. And I remember saying to him, like, you have to do this. Like, he's going to die. And we had had this conversation earlier in the day where my brother was, you know, like, I, he's, he's being terrible and I just want this to be over. It was sort of like saying all the things that people were feeling. And my brother had had it quite a bit worse because he had been there for longer. And I said to him, like, you have to, like, he's dying. You're still going to be here. So whatever you need to do, to get right to to just uh, say goodbye, don't say goodbye, yell at him, build it like whatever it is, but you need to do it, and because he's going and there's nothing you can do about it. Yep. And I remember us being around the bed and like, looking at my brother was sort of standing back, and I just looked up at him, and he just like, you know, came up and said something like, "You're you're doing great, Dad. Like you can go. It's okay." Like he put his piece in there because. I, but I, I'm saying this to say I remember feeling like because that's it, right? You know, like that's it. But that's
1: so wrong. you, yeah, know? you have. You, it like, isn't. That's he's not it. He's got five more minutes. You've got five more exactly, minutes to, to explain like, how you get feel. it all done. Yes. right. Explain those forty <laughs> years in five minutes, and it's
0: right. Right.
1: You know what? You're definitely the first person who's ever mentioned this concept and talked about this. And I'd never really thought about it that way before because, in a sense, what you're saying is that even if your last situation with them was a fight or you said some words that you wish you could take back or you regret that it's okay. Like, that's not the end of the story. Like, you can resolve that.
0: Yes, you can.
1: In your dreams, you can resolve that just speaking to them. And it's it's all fixable. (laughs) You know what? No wonder why you wrote a book about all this. Because, (laughs) I mean, not only have you had these incredible profound experiences that you've learned so much from, yeah. but you're able to articulate them in such an incredible way and remember them. Like, I barely remember any of my dreams, yeah. like maybe immediately after they happen, but certainly not so long I wrote long down after. a lot. Oh, used to see the amount know, of material on
0: my, oh yeah, you do, you do. Oh my gosh. The amount of files on my computer when I go, good Lord. Like it could take like, <laughs> there's just a no, lot that's of material and and.
1: I mean, it's such a missed opportunity for me because I'm always thinking like, God, I I never write anything down. Like I need to, like one day I'm going to be like, I don't remember anything about my life except (laughs) except I'll need to go through like my Instagram or something. Like, oh, at least least I have photos. That happened.
0: I also sometimes just record myself in the morning. So sometimes my daughter will come in and I'm like, and then we were walking through (laughs) the hallway and she's like, who are you talking to? You know, I'm like, just a minute. I got to just like get it
1: out before I... Forget because we forget. And it works. It works. (laughs) Well, I'm just I'm so grateful to you because I swear there have been so many things we've talked about today that I've just I've never even thought about really before. And I know that there are so many things we've talked about that are gonna be helpful to people. You know, number one, just trying to destigmatize this whole crazy world that we're all gonna be in at one point. So it's like, why not talk about it? (laughs) And Uh, It was just so interesting just to hear your perspective on I think, you know, sounds like we're on the same page with a lot of this stuff too. So, um, but to kind of hear you (laughs) articulate things that I've already been thinking of, but maybe didn't even know how to really put it out there. Yeah,
0: that's another great reason why we should all try to just talk about it.
1: Well, (laughs) amen. Thank you so much. Oh my so much. gosh, I'm glad I got like to feed greatest. you a little bit of uh, a little bit of bolognese and um thank you so much. Oh my for gosh, being here. this is mm-hmm. what a truly, treat. I
0: loved our conversation. Oh my gosh, so did I. This is truly I can't think of a better way to spend an hour. I have loved it. I love that you're doing this. I think it's terrific
1: and um I just I'm so happy to have met you. I know I'm so happy to meet you. We did not meet before this, but now I feel (laughs) like we are friends. (laughs) I know we're Instagram friends. I'm very excited. So uh, may this continue. So thank you so much, Elisa. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. In the studio today, we had a delicious bolognese pasta. If you want to hear a recipe for the dish, be sure to listen to the end of our episode with Jack Osborne. Comfort Food is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for ACAST. Our executive producers are Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, Leah Sutherland, and yours truly, Kelly Rizzo. Our audio producer is Chiara Nonni. Special thanks to Camila Goldenberg and Riley Avil rink for production assistance. Our audio engineer is Matthew Blocka. Our editor is Nick Carismi. This podcast is hosted by me, Kelly Rizzo. If you like the show, please rate us five stars and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. only from rustolium